speaking with the word. Good morning. Good morning. Give yourself a shake and grab yourself. A waking drink. with the word. Waking with the word. Waking, waking with the waking word. Waking with the word. Good morning. We are still in the series, Finding the Kingdom of Heaven After Easter. This is part 17. We have spoken about the disciples' passion. We've looked at some of them individually. We've spoken about other characters in the scriptures, the Christian scriptures, which we often call the Bible. And we have talked about how they came to a place where God had to be greater, more important and bigger than anything else. The disciples had become thirsty. They were thirsty for the living spirit of God. No longer were they thirsty for their land to be given back. No longer were they thirsty for their personal needs to be fulfilled. No longer were they trying to influence Jesus with what, with what they thought should be done. They were now thirsty for whatever he was going to do. They'd been promised the consoler, the comforter and power. They'd seen this power worked out in the life of Jesus. This power didn't look powerful in the way that we see power. This power gave Jesus the ability and the desire to get up when it's dark, to go alone and to pray. It gave Jesus the power to be surrounded by people all the time, wanting his attention and not to flip out. There was a day when John the Baptist had been murdered. John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin and he would have played with him as a child. He was beheaded and Jesus receives the news and straight away goes into three days of solid teaching where it says the crowds followed him and he couldn't get alone. But Jesus does not complain. Jesus was given the power to have nowhere to lay his head. He was given the power to think of himself last, to wash the disciples' feet, to feed the multitude. He was given the power to have absolute persuasion that when God told him something absolutely ridiculous, he followed and obeyed without questioning. He was given the power to have an intimate relationship with God where he kept things between him and God and didn't care what people thought of him. He was given the power to miss out on a normal, natural, earthly life where he may have got married and had children and just been able to do his own thing because God had given him a purpose. He was given the power to continue with his purpose. He was given the power to break his heart before his father the night before he was crucified and to talk over with his father the truth that he didn't want to do it, that he was scared. But he was given the power to say, not my will, but yours be done, and to surrender. Jesus was given this power because Jesus knew who his heavenly father was. Before Jesus came to earth, we are told in John 3.16 that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Jesus came in obedience to his heavenly father. He gave up the riches of heaven, the autonomy and the freedom that he could have to live in a human body and dwell on earth with nothing 
being no one, not seen, not heard, but totally dedicated to his father's mission. And then his father lifted him up and he was seen and he was heard and he changed the very calendar that we live by. But for that change to come about, Jesus had to go through intense and daily hardship, commitment, self-control and discipline. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, but without sin. He knows how you feel when you have no time to yourself, whether it's, whether it's because of your kids, friends, family, employees, business, bills, commitments, whether your head is so filled with thoughts of anxiety and depression or whatever it may be, you can't find mental rest. You're tired, you're worn out. Jesus knows how that feels. And he reacted with grace because he was full of grace. Because the thing that mattered most to him was that relationship with his heavenly father. And it is promised to us that that grace will come to us as well. But it does. It does take a commitment. And yet it's promised to us that the grace will also give us the power to maintain this commitment. God is so good and he knows we need to be broken down for him to lift us up. Let me say it again. He knows that we need to be broken down for him to lift us up. And I'm going to say it one more time. For when I truly know something, I say it three times. God is so good and he knows that we need to be broken down for him to lift us up. John the Baptist he put it like this, he must increase and I must decrease. Why did we want this? Why did the disciples come to the point where they wanted this? Why did God work in each one of their lives to smash them to bits and make them realise that what they wanted, they expected, they desired was not profitable? not compared to the glorious provision in every area that God had for them. Why? Because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. And he has to lift us up into them, but he can't do it if we're going the other way. And if we don't let him, because he loves us so much that we have free will. There is so much that God has for you and there is so much that God has for me. And our lives can be so different. And in all the pressured times and all the damaged times and all the hard times and in all the good times as well, we can become that witness that he promised the disciples they would be. I said earlier in this series that a witness is not someone who speaks about Jesus. A witness is someone whose life shows what Jesus can do, what God can do, what walking with our Heavenly Father can do. 
It's a life that can only truly be lived out if it is lived out with him. And so they all had to come to the point where they decreased, where what they thought they wanted, they expected, became almost dross to them. Because what they knew they really wanted and really needed and really desired and really expected was what he wanted. And his power and his communion and fellowship with them at the very depth of the core of their being. When I walk with him, thank God I can leave the witnessing to him. I just walk with him and talk with him. And he walks with me and he talks with me. And it's wonderful. And things begin to happen because he is there, because he's allowed to be there, because I give him the right to be Lord. Thank God, thank God for the experience we can have when we give him the right to be Lord. One of the things we have to learn to do is give him the right to be Lord of other people's lives. Let me say it again. One of the things we have to learn to do is give him the right to be Lord of other people's lives. And one more time, one of the things that we have to learn to do is give him the right to be Lord of other people's lives. The Bible says that we should love one another. Let me read you a scripture from 1 John 4, 7. It says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. And then let me read you another scripture, Romans 5, verse 5. This is what happened with and for the disciples. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. When we decrease and he increases, our love increases, but it's a holy love and a freeing love. I have known so many religious societies and so many churches that keep people in control. I've had experience of that. And I've been tainted by it. And I thought certain ways of doing things and speaking to people was the way God wanted it to be done. But as I've got to know him, I've been thrilled with his freedom. I've been so blessed by his personal, intimate relationship with me. And I've realised that any kind of tradition and any kind of control wrapped up, you know, we have this, this traditional control that is wrapped up by organised religion. And it's true, we do. And even in the evangelical conservative or evangelical Pentecostal or even in the liberal churches, I've seen it. But it's not him. It's not. He's Lord of my life. He's Lord of your life. If someone is in a position where others are looking to them like a pastor and we call them the shepherd of the flock, an elder in a church, an apostle like Paul, they are there to be witnesses, to be witnesses. The example we follow is Jesus. And as we follow that example, we become witnesses. Yes, we can advise if God puts it on our hearts. But remember, you're weak, you're small, you're not God. I'm not God. 
Thank God I'm not God. He is. When I know I'm not God, I can take everything to him. Everything to him. I can leave people in God's hands. I can say thank you, Lord, for that precious person. There have been many people in my life who have opposed me for certain things that God has never opposed me for. In fact, God has blessed me. Recently, I wondered if if things ever changed for me, would I go to these people who opposed me so violently and viciously and thank them for doing what they have termed tough love? And I can honestly say no. I spoke it over with God and I said, Lord, if they were what they see as right, and if that part of me was what they see as evil, and if I was taught by you it was evil, and if you changed or developed me, Lord, would I be grateful for those people who have so viciously attacked and maligned me and gossiped about me? And I said, no, Lord, I wouldn't. I wouldn't because they've not been kind. And he said to me, they do not know my love. You see, even when you think someone is wrong or they're doing something dangerous, which is a better thing to be concerned about. If you know God, you will be kind. Because God's love does not stop because we are wrong. Jesus showed that. Jesus showed that God's love continues. God's love is deeper. God's love is wider. Yes, he's calling us back. And yes, as I've said, he'll break us down so that we're small enough to listen to how great he is. Let me say it again. He'll break us down so that we're small enough to listen to how great he is. And one more time, he will break us down so that we are small enough to listen to how great he is. Instead of it being my way, how I'm made, what I think, we'll say, Lord, your way, the way you want me to be made, whatever you want to do with how I'm made, how you think. But we will be kind, for he is kind. There's nothing, nowhere in the word of God where it says he's not kind. Love does not count up wrongs. Love is kind. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is kindness. Dear ones, whatever we try and point out to one another, whatever I agree with, whatever you agree with, whatever we don't agree with, There is a wideness in God's mercy. And God is love and he is kind. And when you or me act an opposite way to that, two things are happening. Number one, we are acting outside of the character and the will of God. And number two, he will initiate the process to break us down so he can turn us round and lift us up and change us. This is why it's so important and why the disciples learnt to allow him to be Lord of other people's lives. 
When Paul went in to a temple once, he saw idols to every other God but Jesus. And he said, do you know what, guys? You're missing one God. Let me tell you about him. Because they had a plaque to the unknown God in case they'd forgotten any God. And he said, see that plaque? I'm going to tell you who the unknown God is. And he told them about Jesus. And they came to know Jesus. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And God did wonders, but he didn't attack them. He didn't say, look at all your idols. It's all idol worship. No. He saw what was not profitable. He saw the counterfeit and he showed them the real thing. Let me say it again. He saw the counterfeit and he showed them the real thing. And one more time, he saw the counterfeit and he showed them the real thing. So very often we come against the counterfeit with that which is even more deadly than counterfeit, with hatred, with horribleness. We exclude people who God has not excluded. Don't you dare ever tell me that God has excluded anyone. Whom so ever will may come. Thank God for that. Thank God for it. I love God so much and he loves me so much. And that is all anyone has to worry about. But the ground we have is our own ground. The ground that we must toil spiritually is our own hearts. We have to take our eyes off other people, for there is so much in us that he wants to deal with. And when he gets us to that place where we will wait for him, where he can be Lord of everyone else's lives, no longer did they want God to sort out the Romans. They were waiting for God to come to them. Let me say it again, no longer did they want God to sort out the Romans. They were waiting for God to come to them. And one more time, no longer were they waiting for God to sort out the Romans, they were waiting for God to come to them. When we have been hurt and when we have been broken, so very often our response is to turn around and want God to deal with those who have damaged us. But God says, forget them. Let me be Lord of their lives, but bring the wound to me, not as a wound that they have caused Jesus, so get them back, but as a wound that I have. So Lord, will you heal me? Take your eyes off other people. Sit in the room with the disciples spiritually and wait for him to come. Leave other people. He is Lord of their lives. He will be Lord. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But will you? Will you keep coming and doing the thing that he's asked you not to do in the word of God? Will you keep coming and bringing to him that issue, that thing, that thing about other people all the time? Or will you bring yourself smaller than you've been maybe for many years as one who knows they need to be broken down and is willing for him to lift them up in whatever way that is, who wants to learn the lessons on the ground so that when he lifts them high, the character, their character that he has been able to develop does not portray and is not ashamed 
in front of those who one day will see you as a witness, as someone who shows what only God can do. Our Heavenly Father said to the people of Israel when they went into the promised land, do not forget me. Do not say that you have got this because of me, because you have not. This is because they are always to remain small. When I am small enough to be in his hands, I'm very safe. I'm so, so grateful. But there's always, always, always a temptation in every human being to become that little bit bigger. We want to be seen as something. We care what other people think. And there and then we go into idolatry because they are not God. Only he, only he is God. And you know what? You may think this, that and the other thing about someone or about what they're doing. But do you really know what he thinks? You may know what your minister thinks. You may know what the church thinks. You may know what you think the Bible says. But as I've pointed out, the two men on the road to Emmaus, they were debating the scriptures, but they didn't know what it meant. Not until Jesus enlightened their eyes, not until the Holy Spirit came and spoke to them. Once the Holy Spirit fell at Pentecost, the word of God became alive to the disciples and it burned within them. And when Peter preached, oh my word, he preached with power. Get alone with the Holy Spirit. And I believe truly what you are going to find is that when he starts to tell you what he thinks, he's going to start with you, not them. And if you are privileged enough to have a relationship with him where he speaks about someone else, you're not going to want to spread it to make yourself look right or good. You're not going to want to beat them. You're not going to want to control them. You're going to pray for them. You're going to care for them. You're going to love them. And as you decrease, he is going to increase. You are going to experience more than you could ever ask or imagine. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things. They will be added unto you. I'll speak to you tomorrow with all of my love. God bless. If you would like to support our work, you can find details at info at comebacktogod.org.